Do you have to pee all the time? Do you get UTIs one times per year or more? Do you have problems with having symptoms of UTIs, such as burning when you pee or a constant feeling that you need to pee, but your tests never come back positive for an infection? Or have you ever had a kidney stone or even multiple kidney stones? If so, your kidneys may need some detox support. On today's episode, we are continuing our detox series on the seven major pathways for detoxification with the kidney being today. Your kidneys and bladder are often forgotten about super detoxers for your body. Your kidneys are responsible for filtering all of the blood in your body up to 40 times per day. As it filters your blood, it pulls a variety of toxins and metabolic waste out. Too much waste, though, and your kidneys and bladder can develop inflammation and toxic buildup, resulting in pain, burning while urinating, and the all-feared kidney stones. Not only this, but those toxins that should be filtered out of your body by the kidney may end up re-entering it and irritating other parts of your body as well. So even if you aren't struggling with any kidney or bladder symptoms, if you're struggling with any hormone imbalance symptoms, bloating, skin flare-ups, foggy headedness, or joint and muscle pain, your kidneys may be the detox pathway you most need to pump up today. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. All right, guys, we are continuing our detox series today with the kidney. And as a reminder, we are on a series. If you missed the first part of our series, we've had two episodes thus far. We have episode 103 and 104, where we covered just some basics in detoxing, detox myths. That's one episode 103 and 104. We covered the colon, which is so important to gut health. It gets really uh, talked about a lot. Pooping is so important, and yet I cover a lot of myths there on the causes of constipation and diarrhea, what you can really do to actually detox what your and what your colon might be telling you about your, your health and the amount of toxicity you have in your body. And honestly, what you can do about it. That is what these episodes are really focused on is helping you think through, A, do you have a problem with that detox pathway that we're talking about that day in today's kidney? And then B, if you do have the sign, 
signs of having problems with that detox pathway, what can you specifically do about it? And what are some of the pitfalls that you might even run into if you were to try and detox it? So I've already covered in the opening today a little bit on the kidney and its role, but the kidney's main role is to filter your blood and take out all the toxins and metabolic waste that accumulate in your blood. Your blood is circulating all throughout your body to your skin and to your brain and to your organs, your liver, your colon, your stomach, your muscles, and it's dropping off nutrients and then picking up just like a nice little, you know, UPS system, parcel parcel movement. It's picking up all these toxins that a cell says, hey, you know, I ate the food you gave to me and here's these toxins, right? Or sometimes I might say, you know, if it's your your stomach or if it's your small intestine and says, you know, I have this pathogen inside me and here's these toxins that I'm being given and it dumps into the blood, it causes problems, but then we the our body is massively trying to get it out of the body as, as quick as possible and peeing it out is one of the ways that we do it. I am still, still just keep in mind that it, your kidneys should be filtering your blood around 40 times per day and like all of the blood in your body. And so there's a lot of filtering going on, a lot of toxin removal. And if there's any problems with too many toxins coming into contact with the kidney or the kidney being sluggish and not, not filtering toxins very well, you're going to have an increase in symptoms right away. So uh, some symptoms of a clogged pathway for the kidney, I'm going to start with just the symptoms that are related to the urinary tract. So anything kidney or bladder related, interstitial cystitis is a symptom of a clogged kidney pathway, painful urination, painful or inflamed bladder, um, just even without urinating, if your bladder, it feels like it's on fire, kidney stones, repeated UTIs, that's urinary tract infections where there's some type of infection infection, often yeast-based um, or sometimes bacteria-based that causes your the, the tract of where your ureter and your urethra to get infected. Um, and then you can, maybe if you get UTIs every period, that's another big sign or symptom that there's toxicity in the body and that your kidney pathway, detox pathway is clogged. And then just peeing frequently in general uh, can be a big sign of having a clogged kidney pathway. But then we have a whole bunch of other symptoms that are not GI or not, at least they're not specific to urination, to the urination pathway that are common with clogged kidney pathways. So if you're wondering, you know, do my kidneys need a little extra love and support? Well, you want to ask yourself, do you get muscle and joint pain that's unexplained? Or even specifically, have you been diagnosed with fibromyalgia or do you feel like you have fibromyalgia-like symptoms? Do you get fatigue, depression, and anxiety? Do you have pain all over your body? Again, often unexplained pain, not so much. Uh, it could be stiffness even, but but is it not because, oh, I worked out or I didn't work out? It just seems random and consistent and chronic. Uh, do you get brain fog? Do you have rashes and hives that you're suffering from? Stubborn dandruff, repeated athlete's foot or foot? 
toe fungus problems, not faux fungus. That'd be weird. Toe fungus problems. If you get any, uh, if you get athlete's foot or toe fungus one time per year or more, that can be pointing to um, a problem that's going to be connected to kid the kidneys as a detox pathway, gas and bloating, and insomnia. All of these are going to be connected with toxicity that is linked to the kidney detox pathway being somehow clogged or dysfunctional or overburdened. Too many toxins coming into the kidney pathway. Now, as we talked about in episode one and we covered slightly in episode two, there's multiple, there's mainly two causes of clogged detox pathways. And that is one, increased sources of inflammation. So so an increased number of things coming at the kidney that the kidney is needing to filter or decreased ability to detox. So maybe you have a normal amount of toxins coming at the kidney, but then the kidney itself and the bladder has a decreased functionality where it's not able to filter those toxins out as well for one reason or another. So I'm going to split all of the causes of that detox, this detox pathway having problems into those two categories. And then I'm going to talk about each category solutions to each of those problems. So how to deal with the sources of inflammation or how to deal with the decreased uh, capability to detox. So some common sources of inflammation for the kidney. And I want you to be thinking about this in terms of do you have any other symptoms if you say, well, I do get UTIs rather frequently, more than one time, one time a year, one time a year or more. Even getting a UTI one time a year is still on the side of more frequent than, than a healthy body would experience. But so some sources of inflammation include yeast and fungal overgrowth. That includes things like can, candida, mold, and there's other funguses that I found with my clients through lab testing, but candida and mold are definitely going to be two of the biggest, most common ones that we're running into. Oxalates, a high amount of oxalates are going to cause massive problems for the kidney. I talked about oxalates in episode 103, and we're going to be talking about even more today because of all the systems of the body that detox oxalates, kidneys are the most important one. So oxalates are a sharp, it's a, it's a structure in the plants that are very sharp and it acts like a kind of like a bony structure for plants and it protects them and it holds them up and protects them from things like insects from eating them. It's, again, they're bones, and it's kind of like eating glass for bugs. Like bugs do not like oxalates, and so a lot of times plants can be kept from, it's a protection from them being eaten. At the same time, humans are eating these plants, and so we're getting exposure to oxalates. And oxalate concentration is also what can make some plants poisonous to us, such as phylodendrons. We don't eat phylodendrons because they have such a high oxalate load in them that it can make us feel sick. Now, our bodies are designed to be able to filter oxalates out, and that's part of what kidneys' job is to do, is to filter oxalates out and have us pee them out. But if we're getting an increased exposure to oxalates, which I'm going to talk about here in a second, how we get more oxalates in our body, or if you are having maybe a normal exposure to oxalates, but you're not pulling them out of the body very well, then they're going to often accumulate in the kidney and they can create crystals that are sharp and jagged just like they are in the path and are in the plants and though that will cause kidney stones it can cause uh, pain and 
the mus our muscles and our joints and even our skin because these oxalates if they're not being filtered by the kidney they'll end up recirculating in your blood to all parts of your body and causing they will they will cause problems they'll accumulate they'll recrystallize in your body and this is often a huge um base factor in fibromyalgia. Anytime I've had a client with fibromyalgia, and this is something that functional health practitioners are finding more and more, is that we are finding if somebody has been diagnosed with fibromyalgia or even has fibromyalgia-like pain, so pain that we can't find a cause for visibly, there's no, um, you know, injury to the tissue. There's no problems that a PT or an x-ray or a, anybody can figure out, well, why is this person having pain? A lot of times there's oxalate problems going on. And oxalates is something that doctors are not really looking for, at least in conventional medicine, very often these days. But oxalates are something that functional health practitioners are looking at more and more when it comes to ghost pain, pain that seems to have no source. Uh, but again, oxalates are incredibly natural. They're not inherently toxic, but bo- the humans are meant to, we are meant to deal with them in certain quantities. Um, and we are also, we also need to be able to detox them at a certain rate because of that. So oxalates can be a huge source of inflammation and problems for kidneys. Another thing that can be a source of inflammation that will end up causing problems for the kidney is leaky gut. And this is primarily because uh, when you are exposed exposed to oxalates, going back to oxalates, we absorb uh, 1% to 2% of those oxalates normally. So if you have a healthy gut and you don't have leaky gut, you're only going to absorb 1% to 2% of those oxalates into the bloodstream. And so the kidneys don't have to deal too much with the oxalates. But if you have gut inflammation and you have leaky gut, you can absorb up to 50% of the oxalates you are exposed to. So suddenly all those plant meals you're eating, like spinach, or green smoothies, which I discussed in our podcast episodes two episodes ago, that detoxing is not a green smoothie. That's episode 103. Go check that out if you want to learn more about that. But if you take something that has a high amount of plant load, such as a green smoothie or, you know, just a big salad and you're trying to eat your veggies a lot, well, you're going to actually end up absorbing a lot more oxalates than you normally would if you also have leaky gut. So you end up in this a little bit of this catch-22 when you have gut problems and gut inflammation, and then you try to solve it just by eating greens because someone said, oh, eating vegetables is healthy for you. You should eat vegetables because you have gut problems. You could actually be making things worse. Um, Some other causes or sources of inflammation for the kidneys are estrogen and just uh, a lot of times excess hormones, but estrogen in particular. And another big cause of inflammation for the kidneys is going to be antibiotic use, particularly because of how it throws the microbiome out of balance and then can make it really easy for pathogens such as candida to overgrow. Candida ends up becoming really important for the kidneys, kind of moving back to oxalates. Oxalates is honestly, oxalates and estrogen are two toxins you could really narrow things down to on causes of inflammation for the kidneys. And then for oxalates, it's, well, what causes high oxalate? 
concentrate levels, antibiotic use and candida and mold and intaking high levels of oxalates in the diet. Um, so it's nutrition, gut health, and there's some genetic predisposition that's involved in that, but that can also be mitigated. Genetic predisposition, predisposition can be mitigated by having the right nutrients that you're being exposed to and just having everything your body needs to get rid of oxalates and detox them. So those are some sources of inflammation. That is again, yeast and fungal overgrowth, oxalates, leaky gut, estrogen and hormones, just excess amount of hormones and antibiotic use. Very, very common causes uh, of, of inflammation and, and problems of detox or clogging the detox pathway for the kidney. Now, one thing I also want to mention real quick is that if you have candida as a source of your kidney pathway being clogged up, you are going to have coexisting symptoms. And so this is where you might be listening to this podcast and saying, Allison, why are you talking about UTIs or peeing problems or these other things that aren't typically associated with gut health problems? That's because gut health dysfunction often is driving kidney dysfunction and to support the kidneys means you're supporting gut detox. So this series is all about detoxification. And that's what we want to be doing right now is discussing how can you detox better if you're being exposed to, maybe you're going through menopause, you, you took a, um, birth control pill for many years or even decades, as many of my clients have done in the past. And maybe you get exposed to a lot of xenoestrogens that are bumping up the the kind of hormone detox load in your body. These are all things you're going to be want to, wanting to be considering. Now, another source um, or the, the opposite side of things, so you have sources of inflammation that can, that can burden the uh, kidney with more things it needs to detox. You, on the other hand, have things that are decreasing the kidney's ability to detox. So if the kidney just says, hey, I'm not, I'm not functioning as well as I need to. So one of those things that can decrease kidney function is mineral depletion. Now, the adrenal glands control via the hormone aldosterone how much sodium and potassium is released into the body. And this is also part of how much the kidneys know, do they need to pull more water from the body or leave more water into the body, leave more water in the body. So sodium and potassium are being controlled by the hormone aldosterone, aldosterone. And if you're depleted in minerals, it will actually be hard for the body to have enough sodium or enough potassium to balance the hydration of your body. Other things that can cause mineral depletion is a heavy metal presence. A lot of times heavy metals will displace other minerals so if you have mercury toxicity, mercury amalgams, you're being uh, exposed to lots of aluminum. Aluminum is one of the most common heavy metals that I'm finding in our hair tissue mineral analysis lab test. Aluminum is going to come from drinking from aluminum cans, cooking on aluminum foil, storing in aluminum foil, uh, having aluminum in your deodorant. We have aluminum in all corners and crevices of our daily lifestyle, at least kind of for the average types of American products that we're recommended to use. And so aluminum is a really common heavy metal that's increasing in amounts for my clients when I'm, when we're looking at their HTMA test. Uh, mineral depletion is also coming from just not eating enough minerals. For example, specifically with sodium, we're kind of told to not 
eat sodium. And while sodium that is put on potato chips is not the right type of salt that we want to be intaking, we still do need lots of sodium in our diet, especially if we have more stressful lives because stress, whether that's emotional, psychological, or emotional or physical or biochemical, biochemical stress, that is going to lead to more uh, sodium depletion because we are using that sodium as part of the stress response. Kidney or the uh, the adrenal glands are activated. We use more aldosterone. Sodium is more used up, and we then need more sodium in our diet. And then we can also have problems with mineral depletion due to poor absorption. So maybe you're eating enough minerals, but you're not absorbing it due to having low stomach acid or inflammation in the small intestine or pathogens. All these things can inhibit your ability to absorb sodium and potassium, as well as many other nutrients. Some other things that can cause problems with kidneys functioning the way that they need to optimally is going to be physical restrictions around the organ. There's something called kidney ptosis. And just for a, <laughs> just for some orientation, the first time I heard of kidney ptosis, I kept on hearing the person say the kidney was toast. And I was like, oh, the kidney was like burnt to a crisp or something. The Like, like a, euph- not a euphemism, but a, a metaphor of the kidney being toast. And uh, but actually what it is, is ptosis is spelled P-T-O-S-I-S, and that means drooping. It's Latin for something drooping. So you could have eyelid ptosis, and it means that the eyelid is drooping and not staying fully open. Uh, but kidney ptosis means that the kidney, where it's supposed to be um, kind of by your rib cage in the back, by the 12th rib, below the stomach, below the liver it is actually lower than it should be. So it's drooping. And this is a relatively common thing because the kidneys are being held up mainly by fascia. They don't have any bones that they're affixed to. They're being held up purely by fascia and things like pregnancy or falls that you had in sports from skiing or diving for a ball in volleyball, falling off a horse or falling off a bike onto your side can really jostle the kidney and and stretch the fascia, and then the kidney ends up being lower than it should be. This affects blood circulation into the kidney because now the blood has to kind of flow uphill instead of um, where the, the kidney is the kidney's lower, right? So the vascular system, the arteries and the veins that go into the kidneys, that's bringing all of the blood that the kidney is filtering 40 times a day. It's not going in a, in a easier path, right? The path is, is drooping, it's slouching. And so the blood has a harder time getting into and out of the kidney. So kidney ptosis really affects functions of the kidney. Um, and then pressure imbalance in your thorax, which is the rib cage, um, is going to massively impact kidney function. And this has to do with the fact that your kidneys move with your breath and you breathe about 20,000 times a day. And so for clients that I've worked with who have a history of asthma or they have post-infectious restrictions, and that includes things like having pneumonia as a kid or bronchitis or COVID, um, physical injury and trauma to the rib cage, falls, just like we discussed, up skiing, diving for a ball on volleyball, falling off a horse, falling off a bike. All those things can create restrictions. Falling out of a tree, 
by the way, I'm going to mention because I've all these things that I've said here, I've had clients, we were able to trace back their kidney ptosis and their decreased kidney function back to that, um, back to some type of um, pneumonia, bronchitis, COVID, injury, trauma, fall, um, and pregnancy. All of those things have, have caused my clients to have kidney problems. Uh, and it, when I say kidney problems, I'm also not talking about something that a conventional doctor would say, oh, you have a problem, right? It's not going to come up on an x-ray. Although kidney ptosis can be seen on x-rays, doctors don't typically consider it important. They're like, oh, it's just lower, but it's not a big deal. And that's just really not true. Kidneys were placed in your body at a certain level for a reason. And we can actually do things to help get those kidneys back to where they're supposed to be if they are drooping, as we're saying. Um, But if you want to listen to more on on how the pressure balance in your thorax and abdomen are important and how breathing and and good breathing function affects digestion and gut health and even kidney health, I would highly recommend you check out episode 46, The Gut-Breath Connection. And I talk more about all of that in that episode, really phenomenal episode. Um, And then lastly, another thing that can decrease pathway openness for the kidneys is a decrease in bile production from the gallbladder. And this has to do with the fact that excess fat will bind to calcium and make calcium unavailable to neutralize oxalic acid in the in the gut. And so gallbladder bile is, uh, and gallbladder bile is also part of binding estrogen and helping you detox estrogen. So if you're not making enough bile from your gallbladder, maybe your gallbladder was taken out or you've been having some gallbladder problems, you know, you get some pain related to gallbladder dysfunction or you um, or you're just even having bloating problems, a lot of times all of that is going back to the fa- fact that you're not breaking down fat very well, your microbiome's getting out of hand, um, you are not breaking down fat-soluble vitamins, um, and then you have fat is binding to calcium, and this is, gets into a little bit of... Um, biochemistry, right? But fat binds to calcium when it's not broken down. And then calcium uh, is supposed to be able to bind to oxalates to neutralize oxalates. But if you aren't able to neutralize um, oxalic acid in your gut due to your calcium not being available, then you're going to want, then you're going to have problems with oxalates getting into your bloodstream more than desired. And then Conversely, as we talked about with inflammation being a problem for kidneys and and hormones and estrogen being one of those things, bile is a big binder of estrogen. And so if you don't have enough bile production from your gallbladder, then you're going to have problems with estrogen being excessive and not detoxing it as well. Um, Estrogen is a primary cause, one of the primary cause of interstitial cystitis. And so there's a really high correlation between people with IC, interstitial cystitis, which is an which is an inflammatory condition where the bladder, the lining of the bladder gets inflamed for uh, what conventional medicine says is kind of an unknown reason, or it's, you have a sensitive bladder. It can cause uh, basically sensations of having a UTI without having the infection. So burning when you pee, discomfort, there can just be pain in the low pelvic region in general, unrelated to you know having cramps or anything menstruation related, but it's going to be the bladder specifically has discomfort. Um, and then also peeing and urination can be problematic. 
problematic. And that's interstitial cystitis caused from inflammation of the cell wall of the bladder. And hormones, excess hormones such as estrogen, are huge um, instigators of that. So um, again, decreased bile production will lead to excess estrogen levels, which will lead to the kidneys having to filter that estrogen and getting into the bladder and then interstitial, interstitial cystitis coming from that. I've worked with several clients who've been diagnosed with interstitial cystitis. And it's been phenomenal because they'll go from having flare-ups of their IC multiple times a year or even once a month with their period or things like that. Um, they'll have go from their IC basically ruling their life multiple times a year or once a month to not having any IC flare-ups for a year or two because we're able to get control of their estrogen levels and help them detox their hormones and get rid of any candida or other oxalate problems that are also irritating the bladder. So interstitial cystitis, while it, it just means you do have a more sensitive bladder, all you have to do is deal with the toxins that are uh, aggravating the bladder lining and suddenly I see the IC will go away significantly. So, um, that actually kind of walks us into the solution. So if you're having problems with sources of inflammation, if you're having problems with, with decreased, uh, detox capability of your, uh, kidneys, what can you do about it? Well, there's different things you would do for different sources of problems. Um, number one, if it's a yeast or fungal overgrowth, the first thing you're going to want to do is do a test. So in our clinic, we use something called the organic acid test or the oat test, and it's a urine test done at home, and it tests for signs of candida, mold. It can it actually tests for the oxalate levels in your body, as well as a whole other sort, all sorts of organic acids. Um, they're broken down small biochemical bits of other things in your body that can tell us how are your, what's your fat breakdown like? What's your nutrient status like? Um, you know, do you have enough B vitamins in your body? Are you, um, what's your Krebs cycle like? Are you managing your energy well in your body? It's a phenomenal test. And of course it's, it's a urine test, which is part of why it's testing um, your kidney, what your kidneys is ha are having to filter. Anything that is a urine test is saying, this is what the kidney is filtering, what's being deposited into the bladder and what's coming out of your body. So it's a phenomenal test if you have any symptoms related to the kidney that I would highly recommend, let alone gut symptoms and things like that because the kidneys are, are filtering all of these toxins that are coming from other places in the body. They're being collected in the kidney and then in the bladder and being peed out, right? So um, for yeast and fungal growth, you'll first want to do a test to confirm if you have that. Um, you This urine test, by the way, is much better than a stool test. Stool tests are often done at hospitals if if you're going to get a pathogen test for, do you have a gut pathogen? It's often going to be a stool test. And if it is a stool test, stool tests are not the best test for things like candida. You have to have a lot of candida for it to show up on a stool test. Um, you, and urine tests are much better. You can get a, you can, uh, they're much more sensitive. They will find smaller amounts of mold, smaller amounts of candida and confirm that you do need to do something about that. Um, and for any yeast and fungal overgrowth, once you can confirm that that is a problem for you, if you have candida or you have mold, you're going to want to stop eating collagen supplements. And this is because, um, Mold and mold will directly convert collagen into more oxalates, and then candida will indirectly convert collagen into more 
oxalates. So both of those, even if you're not eating oxalates directly, if you're drinking bone broth or taking collagen supplements, because again, it's quote unquote healthy for you. And it is unless you have a mold or, or candida problem or any Honestly, any type of fungal overgrowth is typically going to cause problems with converting collagen into excess amount of oxalates. Now, quick side note, eating meat is okay. There is collagen in meat, but there's a lot more collagen in, for example, bones, which is why bone broth is very different than chicken broth. So chicken broth in general is fine. If you're having a collagen breakdown problem that's being turned into oxalates due to having candida or mold in your body. But if you do have confirmed candida and mold, getting rid of excess collagen is going to be super helpful. If you are suspicious and you're listening to this and you're like, I think I might have a kidney thing going on. I might have excess oxalates in my body. You could just stop your collagen supplements um, and see if that at all helps your symptoms. It's typically not going to be enough to get rid of all your symptoms, but it could reduce the severity. Uh, Again, because if you are having oxalate problems, you want to make sure um, where are these problems coming from. Diet is typically not the only problem for people when it's a chronic problem. But diet will make things worse. It will exacerbate an oxalate problem. Now, when we're getting to oxalate, so first we talked about fungus and mold overgrowths in the body. You want to deal with that on its own. You want to, you know, in our clinic, we work with pharmaceutical grade supplements to help get rid of those at a at a uh, safe rate. So it's not too fast, not too slow. Um, and it, we don't have to use antibiotics and completely obliterate the microbiome. So doing that will then help get rid of those things so that those pathogens, so that you're no longer getting these excess oxalates every time you, every time they have a metabolic function, because those, and by metabolic function, I mean, every time they eat something and then break it down, they're making some of that into oxalates. Um, now, oxalates on their own. Let's say you do an organic acid test and you come back and your oxalates are high. You're like, yep, oxalates are high. This is probably a huge source of your fibromyalgia like pain and your kidney stones or your joint and muscle pain or your, um, all, all these different things we're talking about here, the IC, um, UTIs, or at least it'll be pain that is similar to a UTI without an infection will be caused by an oxalate. Some of the things you can do to help oxalates is reduce oxalate intake. So oxalates, as previously discussed, come from plants. And so a lot of times if you are, for example, vegan or vegetarian and you're eating lots and lots and lots of plants, eating some meat will give you some sources of protein and calories and even fat without needing to expose yourself to oxalates. You could also consider an a low oxalate diet, which there's things other than meat that you can eat that are lower in oxalates. And that's something I have a resource for you from a oxalate expert named Sally Norton. She has a website, sallyknorton.com, and she has a whole bunch of low oxalate recipes that you could check out if you just want to see what are some things that you could be eating, what have high oxalates. She has a whole list of what high oxalates are. Um, there's It's more of a list you have to memorize. There's no quick and easy for it. But for example, spinach has a lot of oxalates, but romaine lettuce does not have as many oxalates. So it's not a, a 
all categories of all certain foods have oxalates, but it really varies. So you can go to sallyknorton.com or click the link in the show notes that I provided for you guys and just check out our recipes. Reduce your oxalates in your diet will help just the overall oxalate load. And another thing is, is for any oxalates you are being exposed to, taking anything that has citrate in it will actually help break down oxalates and pull it out of your body. So citrate, um, includes things like lemon juice, vitamin C, citrate supplements like magnesium citrate or potassium citrate. Some bonuses to taking magnesium and potassium citrate supplements is that it can help your mineral levels in your body, it can help bowel movements. So there's some positive side effects there of taking citrate supports. If you take, if you drink lemon juice, it'd be about a cup of lemon juice is the max of what Sally Norton recommends. And if you are starting to detox oxalates, you're going to want to increase it slowly. You can actually feel if you, if you detox oxalates too quickly, they'll come out of your body in a rush and you will have an increase in pain and an increase in symptoms. So it's another good reason that you want to do testing of how many oxalates do you have have in your body, really work with somebody to figure out how, how quickly can you get rid of oxalates in your body at what rates you're not doing it too fast or too slow, which is ineffective or not as effective as you'd want it to be to get rid of your symptoms. Let's put it that way. So, um, taking anything that has citrates in it, um, and then, just for a milligram comparison, if you're thinking, what does a low oxalate diet look like? What's the amount of oxalates we're being exposed to in general? What's normal oxalate? What's extra? The daily adult oxalate intake is between 80 and 120 milligrams. A low oxalate diet, conversely, is about half of that, since it's 40 to 60 milligrams a day. So an average, no one, you know, not taking in green smoothies, just like an average diet, something very healthy and normal range for an adult is 80 to 120 milligrams of oxalates, and then low oxalate is half, 40 to 60 milligrams. Now, here, here is some interesting information. A green smoothie that has two cups of spinach in it has about 1,500 milligrams of oxalates. That's more than 10 times the average daily intake recommended for an adult for oxalates. So diet is going to help reducing the load, getting rid of pathogens such as mold and candida, which are converting other substances like collagen into oxalates is going to be helpful. Taking a citrate, increasing your citrate intake through lemon juice or vitamin C or citrate supplements is going to help break down oxalates in the body. And that will help you pee them out and get them out. It'll really reduce the overall levels of interstitial cystitis and kidney stones and um, just kind of bladder inflammation, painful urination, all those problems that come with high oxalate levels. So this is really an encouragement to, you want to have a personalized health plan. You don't want to just dump spinach in a smoothie because someone says that's healthy. It could actually be exacerbating and prolonging your, your problems and not actually helping you detox or be healthy, but actually adding to your toxic load. So that's just something to keep in mind if you've been having ongoing health problems and you've been trying to, for example, eat your veggies. Um, some other things, if, if you have estrogen and hormones at the base of your problems with your kidneys and your bladder, you're number one going to want to get off of birth control. And this is something that's very contested or not talked about. Definitely. If you ask a uh, doctor at a hospital, you know, is, is my birth control hurting me? They will say no. If you even 
point blank ask them, like, is it causing problems for my interstitial cystitis? Is it causing problems for my kidneys or um, any of these things? They're just going to say no. I've actually, at least that's what has happened to me. And that's what's happened to my clients as well that I've worked with. Cause they, I have plenty of clients who want to work with their doctor in their health along with me. Um, and so they're having conversations with their doctor and they're kind of finding out which doctors that they work with are, are what, what each person believes and how they're working with them. But it is more common for conventional doctors to just point blank say birth control is not harmful where it can be, especially if you, if you're having problems with bladder inflammation and chronic UTIs and kidney stones. Um, you want to reduce exposure to estrogen um, via, or you want to reduce exposure to xenoestrogens. Xenoestrogens are alien estrogens. They're estrogens that are, that are not your normal biochemical estrogen, but they're synthetic of some sort and they, they operate similar. Your body thinks they look like the estrogen hormone uh, in the, their chemical makeup. And that includes things like something called parabens and phthalates. If you've heard people talk about those, those are often in personal care products, such as shampoo and makeup and hand lotion and um, anything that's scented. So like candles, you can breathe in these things. So you want to switch to non-toxic versions of all these personal care products. You want to help heal your liver because liver is your primary detox organ for estrogen. Ideally, you want to be pooping out estrogen, but if your liver isn't functioning right, your estrogen is going to end up being filtered by your kidney. You'll pee it out, um, and that will cause problems because your bladder again is going to inflame with that with that uh, estrogen coming into the bladder lining. Um, if you eat broccoli, that's going to help your estrogen levels because broccoli has something called DIM in it, which and the precursor to DIM and DIM helps. It's a it's a it's a chemical that helps break down uh, and detox estrogen in your body. And you can also just take supplements that have DIM in it and something called calcium D-glucurate as well as SAMe. And I would say don't do not take any of these without testing. Um, in our clinic, we use something called the Dutch test, and that's another urine-based test that tests all the hormones, uh, all your sex hormones, as well as adrenal gland hormones. So again, really, really relevant to anything kidney problem related, anything hormone problem related. They're all kind of intermixed here. And so if you're wanting some more specific detox support or guidance for your body because you've been having problems for a long time and everything you've tried just kind of DIY or through reading blog post isn't working, then you need testing. You want to test things, not guess what you need, because guessing can even lead you, again, kind of like with the two cups of spinach problem, it can lead you to actually feeling worse or if anything, not feeling better. And then in general, you want to heal your leaky gut. You want to find current sources of inflammation that is causing the breakdown of your gut lining. You want to remove those sources of inflammation and you want to replace your nutrients so that you can rebuild your gut lining at the right rate. Um, the gut lining takes a long time to break down. It can take a long time to build back up, but you want to make sure you're in, go heading in the right direction again through lab testing because sources of inflammation for leaky gut can vary. And if you're missing a key source because you're getting five 
out of the seven or 10 options that you have for a leaky gut, even if you're addressing five of them and you still have two other ones or three other ones or five other ones that are causing problems, that's going to be why your leaky gut feels like it's never going away. So making sure you're doing testing, looking for food sensitivities or pathogens, heavy metals, all these things can be causing leaky gut to perpetuate. Um, and then you absorb oxalates, more oxalates into the body. They get to the kidney. Um, they form sharp crystals. They get to your joints and your muscles and cause form crystals and you get pain there. And so all of these things are going to, um, healing your leaky gut is going to help reduce, um, the amount of oxalates and inflammation getting uh, to your kidneys and bladder. All right. So next, when we talk about how to increase pathway openness for the kidneys. So if you're like, well, maybe you're not having any problems with oxalates or fungal overgrowth, you're not having any problems with too much estrogen, you can still boost your kidney detox pathway a couple ways. One is boosting mineral intake. So boosting sodium, potassium, and magnesium in particular are going to be super helpful for your kidneys. Um, you can see my free constipation handout talks about how you can boost all of those minerals on that. Um, it will also help bowel movements. And so that's why it's on a constipation handout, but those same minerals and the same mineral testing to see, you know, what is your, um, you can do a little test to see what your stomach acid levels are like, which impacts your mineral absorption. All those things is in that handout. So download the free handout. There's a link in the show notes, go check that out. Um, you're going to want to, um, do visceral manipulation. Visceral manipulation is incredibly helpful to reduce kidney ptosis, to mobilize the bladder. If there's any adhesions around the bladder, you can have other symptoms such as incontinence, which is not as related to problems with kidney detoxification, but it is going to say your bladder has adhesions around it. So you're going to want to mobilize bladder. You're going to want to do visceral manipulation for kidneys. Um, you also want to work on mobilizing the ureter, um, which is the connection between the kidney and the bladder. I've had clients come to me with all sorts of pain and problems. I had a client come to me once. She had hip pain, incontinence, and shooting nerve pain down her left leg. And she had a history of three back surgeries due to bulging and herniated discs in her uh, lumbar spine. And so this led to surgical scarring and her ureter had actually gotten stuck and was and was clamping down on one of her nerves going down to her leg and causing pain and problems that, you know, her chiropractor couldn't figure out, her PT couldn't figure out. And as soon as we released that, that restriction, her ureter started gliding more. She, uh, her incontinence significantly reduced where she can now cough or sneeze or laugh without leaking. Um, she had significant improvement in all these areas because of visceral manipulation. She didn't have to pee as frequently. She didn't have pain when she urinated anymore. It was a huge improvement. Visceral manipulation can also help with liver and gallbladder functionality. We have techniques that can help mobilize the liver, which helps create bile and helps you detox your estrogen. And then we also have techniques to help with gallbladder functionality. So um, there there's been many cases of people, uh, I have not had any in my office. I've often worked with clients who um, have already had gallbladder 
removed and they come to me and we work with the scar tissue around the gallbladder and that can release um, restrictions that cause pain or can inhibit the functionality of bile dropping from the liver um, into the small intestine. But any type of gallbladder work with visceral manipulation, whether you have a gallbladder um, and are having problems and are considering getting surgery, uh, you can. there have been cases where surgery has been avoided through ver- visceral manipulation or you can um, get visceral manipulation on scar tissue from having a gallbladder removal surgery. And that will also massively improve bile flow and production and quality in your body. So you can bind that estrogen and not have it in your kidneys and bladder. And overall, you can just boost gallbladder function by adding in some supplements. So I have some recommendations on my top, my, my favorite supplements to support your gallbladder and to support fat absorption and fat assimilation and breakdown so that everything, all your digestion's happening well, you're not getting bloating, you're not having problems with unabsorbed fat binding to calcium and then that calcium not neutralizing oxalates in your in your body, right? So you want to make sure that every part of your system of your body is functioning well because every single part, everything from fat absorption, stomach acid, bile, um, oxalate, your diet, pathogens, microbiome, uh, even just like the specific food sensitivities or or spinach, things like this, they all part play a big part in, or they all play a part in the bigger picture of your body's ability to detox and function well so that you can get toxins out of your body and be clear-headed and not have painful muscles and sleep well through the night, all these different things. So as a summary, if you want to open up your pathways, you can pump them up by doing things like taking vitamin C, eating meat in balanced with vegetables, boosting your fat breakdown via supplements or a visceral manipulation of your gallbladder and liver, and pumping up your minerals such as magnesium, potassium, and sodium, which you can again learn more about in my free constipation relief guide um, just by clicking on the link in the show notes and downloading it to your phone or computer. Now, if your pathway isn't open, you can still take those same action steps, but I would also recommend to sign up for our foundations program waitlist so that you can find the hidden causes of your kidney problems, your kidney stones, your UTIs, and your interstitial cystitis. No more guessing. Find out what is the problem. Is it oxalates? Is it candida in mold? Is it estrogen problems and hormone imbalance? Find exactly what is going on so you're testing, not guessing, and you get a customized health plan so that you can finally find relief from your symptoms have energy, have relief from your bloating, all these different things that are all interconnected that we discussed today. So you can sign up for the foundations program waitlist by going to betterbellytherapies.com slash waitlist or by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm going to be starting to see clients soon, but it'll be a limited number of clients. So jump on the waitlist. I'll be sending out an email and you'll be hearing more about that. And if you are the first to sign up for um, a qualified call for me, which I'll only have that link available 
through the four of those who are on the wait list, then you may get to work with me and find the root cause of your gut health problems. I would love, love, love to work with you and help you find freedom and honestly, some really, some sanity so that you can feel like there is a reason for all of the problems that you're having in your body. There are solutions and you are not stuck. You are not stuck. So sign up for the foundations program waitlist today, again, by going to to betterbellytherapies.com slash waitlist or clicking the link in the show notes. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed our second episode on our seven detox pathways series the kidneys. This is so exciting, so fun to just get to dig into all these pathways together. If you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line. So subscribe so you never miss a beat. And if you thought of someone as you were listening to this episode, you know someone with who's been, who's been struggling with kidney stones, you know someone who's been struggling with interstitial cystitis or bladders or repeated UTI problems, then I would encourage you take a screenshot and send that to your friend. I cannot tell you how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that they say, oh, I know someone who needs you. So send that friend a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while or you're new and you're enjoying this content, I would encourage you and ask you, let me know what you're loving. Go and scroll down in Apple iTunes, give us a five-star rating and let us know in a review what you are loving on this podcast and what is meaning the most to you. Other ways that you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Better Belly Therapies. I love connecting with our listeners on Instagram and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. Lastly, if you are a local client to our office, we are located in Metro Detroit. I would love to see you in our office where we do visceral manipulation and craniosacral therapy for our clients and we can partner it with functional lab testing for you locally. If you live in the Metro Detroit region and want to visit us, you can go to betterbellytherapies.com slash book now and book an appointment today, or you can click the link in the show notes. And to end us off, our motto, remember, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. You can heal. You are not stuck. I believe in you and your body, and you have a future ahead of you that is pain-free. I am so excited for you and the freedom you have headed towards you on your health journey. I hope you enjoy your kidney detox, and I'll see you guys next week.